If you would, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll bring one to you. We're going to open up to Daniel chapter 3, and, and actually we're going to be in a few different places uh, within God's Word, but we're going to start in Daniel chapter 3. And I know we have some college students home on break. Good to have you home. Uh, it's fall break for some of them, and then, you know, I always look forward to Thanksgiving, Christmas, because then they're home a little bit more consistently, and it's good to see them around. But I'm going to need the help of some high school and college students. I need a total of five high school students or college students. I just, Lupe, unless you got held back many, many times. No comment, please, from those that you know him. Uh, so if I could just have some of the high school students, I need five of you, uh, just to help demonstrate something. You don't have to say a word. I just need you down here on the floor to meet me. So I'm asking high school students and college students to be aggressive. It's really coming through. So parents, if you're sitting next to them, go ahead and pinch them and give them a poke in the rib. Yeah, well, pastor's daughter's always going to happen. So thanks, Karen, for getting in. Come on. Did you volunteer on your own or did she give you the nudge? Oh, Jen did. Nice. Very good. Thank you, boys. Good. One, two, three. I need one more. They're looking over there, and I'm looking right here. Exactly. One more. Excellent. Okay. So let's do this. Um, who feels the least? Turn this way. Who feels the uh, probably most intimidated up here right now? So, perfect. Awesome. So, gentlemen, I'm going to have you sit here right down here in the front row. Back in 1948, there was a TV show producer that came out with a show called Candid Camera. And it was a great show, caught people on film, never, everyday life, and how did everybody else respond to this? So in one certain episode, a young lady got in an elevator, so we're going to pretend this is the elevator right here, so actually why don't you just come up, you know, pretend you pushed a button and step into the elevator, okay? Actually, you're coming, I'm sorry, no, no, I'm sorry, follow me. Elevator's right there, we're going to go up, push the button, boom, go ahead and step into the elevator. So she stepped into the elevator, and then three gentlemen, so any three of you, Go down the aisle, okay? Next three guys came up and, and right behind her, and they pushed them, and they got in the elevator with her. But instead, they came in, come on in the elevator, and they faced the back of the elevator. So go ahead and, yep, very good. How you feeling there, Anna? So at about this point in time, they put the camera on the person that was getting pranked and sort of like look at, you know, what's going on in their mind right now. Then the next floor up, elevator opens, and the gentleman that walked in stood about almost right in front, yep, and faced the same direction as the other guys. How are you feeling right now? What's that? Just a little weird, yeah. You can barely get that out. You're so freaked out right now. So, so this is what happened then. Is the, most of the people that were in the elevator that were getting pranked they just went ahead and turned around and faced the same direction that the rest of the guys were in the elevator. Awesome, thank you. You can have a seat. Now, I could have told this story, but it's so much more fun to see that in action, isn't it? Can you imagine that if you're the one standing in the elevator and they come in and they're all facing the back of the elevator? It's intimidating, isn't it? And then the next person comes in. Well, eventually, like I said, almost all of those that were in the elevator to begin with to get pranked, turned around and faced the same direction as everybody else. They basically conformed to what was going on. Now, I want to read a verse to you. It's Romans 12:2, because this goes right along with what we're talking about in Daniel. Romans 12:2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
But let God transform you into a new person by the changing the way you think. Then you'll know God's good will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Conformity is easy, isn't it? It's taking the path of least resistance. What's tough, what is bold, is to not conform. It is so challenging today. That was just an elevator. And just standing there in the elevator, and everybody else comes in and faces a different direction. And eventually, everybody conformed and turned. That's a simple thing, an elevator, right? Can you imagine today? For our young people, our high school and college students, and even junior high, what they're being pressured in how to stand and which direction to go. It is tough, I believe, for young people. And adults, it's no different for us because we have just as much pressure, but I think we have gone through so much experience-wise that we can maybe have a little bit more wisdom in knowing how to handle that. A lot of our young people don't. And we cheer them on and we try to direct them in the right way. And we get to Daniel chapter 3, and we have three young men who were forced to bow. So if you look at Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar had proudly built a statue to himself. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. In spite of the dream interpretation of chapter 2, and he knew it was not to do, but he did. But his pride was so big, and so big he made a 90-foot statue. And he had a massive crowd, a whole nation, come before that statue. And he said, when my orchestra, when my music begins to play, you're all going to bow to the statue, which is basically bowing to him. Well, all the officials were called together. The elite orchestra assembled. They played the music. Everybody bowed except for those three young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we know them. Instead, they stood. They didn't bow And uh, they did not judge the situation by the king's threat or the fiery furnace, which was right there in front of them. But they made their decision based on an everlasting God and eternal life, which awaited them. Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Let's read that. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If you are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Even if he doesn't. Even if. If, look at the person next to you, please, and just look at him and say, even if. Look at another person around you and say, even if. Okay, and if you're visiting today, we don't always do this, but on those days I want people to feel uncomfortable, I do. So that's one of those days. But even if, those are two powerful words. Even if, even if God doesn't come through for me on this, I will stand. I will stand. Even if my God is powerful, my God is almighty, but even if he chooses not to rescue me here, I will stand for him. Two powerful words. Well, that furnace heat, if you remember the story two weeks ago, the furnace heat was increased seven times hotter. And the soldiers who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire, they were burned up and they were killed on the spot before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably hit the furnace floor. They were already dead. 
But there stood Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and who we believe was the Lord was standing there with them as well. An amazing miracle. But what is it even more amazing is that these young men stood for God and they stood alone. You know, we think, wow, God rescued them, which is always incredible. But I think what the incredible part was the fact what got them there. It's the fact that they stood for what they believed in. They did not sway with what everybody else was doing. They didn't conform to what everybody else was doing. And I sit there and have to ask this question because I hope two weeks ago when we got done with that, that sermon that Sunday, you know, you were encouraged hopefully by God's word and you walked out of here saying, wow, that's a great story in Daniel chapter 3. But I hope you walked out of here saying, but how did they do it? Thank you, Pastor Rex, for preaching that sermon, but how did they stand? I was encouraged to go stand, but you know what? Monday showed up and Monday was a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be. And I felt like conforming right on the spot. Standing was not going to be easy. How do, how do I stand? What gave these young men the strength to say, even if? What kind of toughness did they possess? What kind of strength did they hold? I believe that they were, they were able to answer a simple question. And I believe if you can answer the simple question correctly, you can stand just like they did. Ready for the question? Here it is. Who is God? I, I believe if you can answer that question, who is God? You can stand anytime, just like they did. If you can clearly answer the question about who is God, your life will be dictated and directed with the ability to stand in faith. God is the creator of all things, everlasting and almighty, most powerful, just and loving, fierce and forgiving. That is our God, and so much more, right? But if you can stand and proclaim the truth about who God is and answer that question, you'll be able to stand in those moments when everybody else is turning and facing the opposite direction. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11 said this, and this is right after the, the mighty victory at the Red Sea where Moses crossed over with the children of Israel. He said this, Who is like you? Among the gods, O oh Lord. What a great question, right? Who's like you? Among, among all the false gods that are out there right now, who's like you? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Who's like that? That is awesome and glorious and mighty. The answer? No, and there's no other gods. When Moses posed that question, he was making a statement. He wasn't just like, oh, I wonder who's like, wonder who else is like God. He knew there's nobody else like God. Turn in your Bibles and you, uh, to Deuteronomy. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book in Old Testament, right from the beginning. Okay, Deuteronomy, chapter ten. There's another passage that Moses uh, wrote, and I want you to read this as I read it too. Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 14. Deuteronomy 10, 14, 14, it says, Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Verse 15. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. He chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Verse 16. Therefore, change your hearts 
Stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is a great God, a mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. Look at verse 20. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you've seen with your own eyes. Moses makes it very clear. Listen, our God is an awesome God. He is like no other God out there. He also wrote something in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 2 and 5. And why did he write this? Because God said, put this one down. And this one's in stone. No eraser needed. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, and I will show, and I will not tolerate your affection for other gods. We have one God, church, And he doesn't tolerate any other gods. He does not tolerate our worship of other gods. He is a jealous God in the sense that, listen, I am the only God out here, so I deserve all the praise. And it's very, probably scary at times to think about the different things that we might worship unintentionally. The things that we put our time and our money towards and we sort of put God off to the side. And we create these false gods not even realizing it. Psalm 113, 1 through 6 says this. Praise the Lord. Yes, give praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. I mean, the psalmist is just so excited. This blessed God, praise God. Why? Verse 3 of Psalm 113. Everywhere from the east to the west, praise the name of the Lord. For the Lord is high above the nations and his glory is higher than the heavens. Why are we praising God? Because he's above everything. He is mightier than anything. Verse 5, listen to this very careful. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? Who can be compared to God? I'll give you the answer. No one. No one. The writers of the Bible had this incredible reverence for God. Think about this. As they pen these things out, book after book, page after page, every writer, every person we look in there, they had this incredible reverence for God. God was not just a name they threw around. They didn't like use his name when they were like excited, like, oh, you know, no. You don't use his name like that. You don't use his name when you're angry and you want to just throw out with a few swear words and throw the Lord's name in there. No. There was a reverence for the name of God. There's a reverence for God. God is creator of all things, eternal and mighty, all-powerful, just and loving, fierce and forgiving, as I said before. And whether you believe it or not, He is. Whether you agree with me or not, He is. Whether you've opened up the Bible to discover this for yourself or not, He is, and we're without excuses. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul said, From the very creation of the world, people have seen 
in the earth and in the sky. Through everything that God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Church, everybody in here this morning, we have no excuses. Then we always come up with good excuses whenever something goes wrong. I didn't know. Or, you know, we always have good excuses. If you, if you are a person of, uh, of leadership and you've got people that work under you, you've heard multiple excuses when people don't come through, right? And we ourselves, doesn't matter who we are, we all have our own excuses. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't get there. I was what? Well, here's my excuse, right? Paul says this. You know what? Our almighty God is invisible qualities and power and characteristics can be seen in creation. When you see a sunrise, a sunset, a waterfall, a mountain, a flower that blooms, or the creation of a baby. As we heard Scott shared with us before they, when they got here this morning, he was sharing about how his baby daughter was born in the front seat of his car on the way to the hospital. And we're hearing this story and it's like, that is amazing. We have no excuse for not knowing God. None whatsoever. Well, I've never read the Bible before. You don't have to read the Bible to know that there is a God. But when you read the Bible, you'll learn about God. Turn with me to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. So you get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You get to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. It's a crazy story in here. An unusual story. Paul was on a missionary journey. In Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 11, there had been some things that had been going on when they were in uh, the city of Ephesus. And there was a person that was possessed by a demon. And we come to verse 11. God gave power, God, I'm sorry, God gave Paul the power to do unusual miracles. So that even when handkerchiefs or cloths that had touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and any evil spirits that came out. While a team of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus. See, here's the thing. A lot of these guys started making prophets, going around saying, well, I can, I can heal you. I can cast out demons. I'll just use the name of Jesus. Just, you know, you pay me the right amount of money and I'll do it for you, right? They're trying to make a living off this. Here's it says, the incantation they used was this. I command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But when they tried it on a man possessed by an evil spirit, the spirit replied, listen, this demonic man replied, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who are you? And he leaped on them and he attacked them with such violence they fled from the house naked and badly injured. So you can just sort of imagine this going down. And the story of what happened spread quickly throughout the town. So the Jews and Greeks all heard about this. It said, A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. In this story, what was happening, this place was preoccupied with magical power of secret names and incantations and spells and so forth. Very significant to the city of Ephesus and the citizens of that city, about this demon-possessed man. And he apparently was well-known to all of those in Ephesus. Now, what this demon said, though, was, I know Jesus, I know Paul, 
I don't know you. And the people heard about that. They're like, this demon-possessed man knows Jesus and has given Jesus authority over him. Who is Jesus? We want to know who this Jesus is. No one's been able to help this demon-possessed man, but the evil spirit had taken control and tormented this individual, spoke and admitted to Jesus Christ being almighty and powerful. So as a result, a new supremacy was immediately given to the name of Jesus in the city of Ephesus, and everybody wanted to know, who is Jesus? It says in Acts 19, 17, it said, basically, this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. Fear fell on them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. It was honored. It was exploded. The Greek word for fear is phobos, where we get phobia. That's the word that's used here. But it describes here a reverential fear, a hush, an amazement that literally fell on the residents of that city. It said a fear of Jesus. As fear came upon them. All of a sudden, like, oh, it's like a reverent awe. It wasn't like I'm scared, like a horror movie, okay? It was like I should be standing in awe right now of something completely amazing and powerful. It was to heighten the awareness of the name of Jesus. And the verse goes on to say that being magnified, that word means to enlarge, expand, to maximize. The name of Jesus was maximized throughout the city. And suddenly, people weren't afraid of the demonic man anymore because the demons were cast. But the name of Jesus was now held in reverence and awe. Life in Ephesus was being eternally impacted by the power of the gospel, and many in that region would never be the same again because of the name of Jesus. And that's what happens when the power of God is manifested and displayed. When you see God at work, there's almost like this, this all that falls upon you. It's like, wow. When I shared with you earlier about Crew, for example, and his injury, and the fact that had he not been got knocked over when he's playing football and had his shoulder hurt and like, oh, we probably ought to go get his shoulder checked. Had that not happened, they would have never found his collapsed lung. Right? And how many of you sitting here are saying, that's a God thing. Right? That's amazing. And we've had moments like that in our lives and we just see it again. And in moments like that, that's the kind of thing that should spread throughout the city is that God was at work. I don't know if this makes you want to see the power of God manifested more in our community, in our church, in our lives, but I hope it does. God is Lord over all. God is Lord over all, and he must be the Lord of our life. If not, you won't stand. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand? I believe they were able to stand because they knew the power of God. They knew what it meant to stand for the Lord. They knew they could answer that question. Who is God? We can tell you who God is. Because they knew who God was now, reverence and all that they had for God, they would stand for him more than they would fear a fiery furnace. I believe that when we know who God is, we will approach God differently, we will worship God differently, and we will behave differently. Let me say that again. When you can answer who God is correctly, you will approach God differently, you will worship God differently, and you will behave differently. Let me give you an example here. In approaching God, I believe we approach God very casually these days. Just think about when we go to worship. 
when we sing, when we pray. You ever thought about your posture when you pray or sing? There have been times when I, I've, maybe I'm sitting down. I was going to sit on the steps. When I'm sitting there and I might be just kicked back and like, oh yeah, whatever. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know, you know what happens? In my mind I'm going, oh, I'm praying. I'm going to change my posture and get a little bit more reverent, right? There, there's times like I might have a, a cup of coffee or something. It's like, is this right? that I'm doing this right now? Shouldn't I put the coffee down and, and sit differently? Am I, am I too casual? I don't know if you've ever gone through that before. Sometimes it just goes through my mind. It's like, this just could possibly a holy, be a holy moment. And in this holy moment, am I just taking it as if I was just strolling along to Walmart in my pajamas or something? I mean, shouldn't it be a little bit more special, right? Sorry, don't know where that one came from. But I thought about this whether or not you like the president or not, but I want you to think about this. If you got an invitation to go to the White House and to meet the president, I think I would make sure I, I looked my best. Whether I like him or not, I would make sure I look my best. I would probably make sure my, 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 I brush my teeth, my hair is combed. I would make sure everything's tucked in and, and zipped up, and I would make sure that you know there's nothing you know anywhere hanging out, no crumbs on my face. I would not be just like having, you know, like, Brown or ranch Doritos and just eat them and like, hey, Mr. President. Okay, I, I, I don't think I would do that. I think I would be a little bit more looking at him with more reverence and awe and saying, I want to present my best, right? And, and I hope you would be the same way. And I sit there and think, isn't our Heavenly Father greater than the President of the United States? Absolutely. So how do I approach my Heavenly Father in prayer and worship? Is my approach if I look at God for who God really is, how do I approach him? Am I casual or am I with utmost respect? Our approach to God, I believe, is to be with great respect for who God is. Our worship for God will also be different. If we can answer who is God correctly, our worship of God is different as well. 1 Samuel 14.35, let me read this verse to you. It says, Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first of the altars he built to the Lord. So in 1 Samuel 14, King Saul builds his altar and he builds it to God. He's like, this is my first of my altars to God. To worship God. Listen very carefully. Because a chapter later, things change. And uh, Saul did not completely obey God's commands. In verse 12 of the next chapter, it says, Early the next morning, Samuel went out to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. He went from building altars to God to building altars to himself. What changes in a man that causes him to say, One moment, I'm worshiping God and God alone. I'm going to worship myself now. What takes place in those two scriptures? What changes? See, when you stop building altars to God, guess who you start building altars to? Yourself. We must worship God differently. Worship is not intended for us. When you come in here, you may not like the song, you may not like the sound, you may not like something. It's not for you. Sorry. If we polled everybody and took an opinion and a census and said, what would you like worship to be? What would you like worship to be? We'd probably get 101 different answers. So we pray about how should worship be? God, how do you want to? This is for him. This isn't for us. 
And it's very easy to become very picky in worship. Worship's not about us being comfortable. Matter of fact, I think the best time to worship God is when you're uncomfortable. Because when you're uncomfortable, guess who you're leaning on? God. He must be glorified. Jesus must be glorified. And we've not only do we approach God differently or worship God differently. Here's that third one again. We recognize when we can answer that question, who God is, it causes us to live differently. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, 8, Paul wrote this. God's called us to holy lives, not impure lives. Did you realize that, church? God's called you and I to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules, you're not obeying human teaching, uh, but you're rejecting God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm just doing what man wants to do. You know what? When we choose to do what man wants to do in impure living, it's not that we're choosing to obey man. We're rejecting God. God's given us his spirit to say, you can live a holy life. Galatians 5, 16 to 23 says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Paul said, God's spirit is within you. Let his spirit guide you then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions, verse 18. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature... The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But the Holy Spirit produces the fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self, gentleness and self-control. Against this law, there, there is no law against these things. What an amazing thing that Paul says, listen, you are not supposed to be living in pure lives. You've got God's Spirit. When you can answer, who is God? You live differently. You know, we have to wage war with sin and sinful things all the time. In the book called Road to Character, the author shared about how President Eisenhower, when he was in the office, I'm sorry, when he was a student at West Point, he said he was a four-pack-a-day smoker. Then one day he said, you know what, I'm going to quit turkey. And he just stopped. And somebody said, how did you do it? And he said, I simply gave myself an order. That was it. I gave myself an order. Do you ever think that sometime we need to give ourselves orders? Like, you know what? I'm ordering myself right now. I need to stop. Easier said than done, right? But when you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, He gives you that help you need. And here's the thing. Whatever we tolerate will eventually dominate us. If you tolerate certain sins, it will eventually dominate you. Parents, if you tolerate certain sins, it will eventually dominate your kids. It's the way this world works. So ask yourself about your life and your actions and your behaviors. Reflect about this. Do they match up with what I believe? Who is God? If you can answer, who is God? As being almighty, creator of all, 
just and loving, fierce and forgiving, it's easier to stand. Your worship changes. Your approach to God changes. Your behaviors change. They knew God. They just didn't know about God. They knew God. King Nebuchadnezzar, he knew about God. He didn't know God. So what was the depth of their relationship with God life? Well, we we probably can't answer that, but we know this. It had to be deep. Deep enough that they knew God enough, they trusted God enough that they would stand for anything if it was for God. And they would not bow to anything that was against God. The big difference between knowing about something and truly knowing something. I need uh, I need an elementary age student uh, to come up here. But here's the thing: I need an elementary age student who really loves monster cookies from Chief. The special. I mean, just like I, I just I come on up. I. Come on up here and have a seat. Because it just so happens I've got a big box of special recipe cookies. Why do you like monster cookies so much? What's so special about them? M&M's. The M&M's? Any, do you have a certain favorite color M&M? Blue. Blue? Okay. What else do you like about the cookies? They're just good. They're just good. Do you like them when they're soft? When you, when you sort of pick them up and they just sort of fold real soft. Yeah, those are really good, aren't they? So when's your favorite time to eat a cookie? In the morning. In the morning. <laughs> it is officially 11 o'clock right now, so we're still in the morning. This is a good time to eat a monster cookie. Do you like anything to go with your cookies? Milk. Milk. I wish I had some milk up here. That would have been just perfect, wouldn't it? So you just sort of imagine you wake up in the morning and you have your monster cookie with a glass of milk and it's sort of soft. That's so good. Does it make you want to have one right now? Absolutely. Thank you. You can go have a seat. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. What are you all on about? What? Did you want a cookie? Come back up here. Well, she didn't tell me. Did you want a cookie? Okay, we'll go and have a seat. Go and pick one out. Why don't you go ahead? Just, just go ahead and start eating. You can have it. You can eat it right now, right there. Yeah. Is it good? Is it really tasty? Oh, I bet. I bet. See, here, you know, here's the thing. I was thinking about this. Um, I was telling you all about the cookie, how good it is, how soft it is. It really made you want it, didn't it? Let me ask you something. Is it better to just talk about the cookie or to have the cookie? Mm, yeah. I'm glad you're enjoying that cookie right now. Do you want to take one for a friend too? Yeah, oh yeah. Do you want to take two for a friend? You've got to share them though. You're going to have a lot of friends after church. Okay. You can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much. You know what Psalm 34.8 says? Anybody know Psalm 34, 8? You, you'll, you'll know what it says once I say it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those three young men, 
didn't want to bow to a bad cookie. <laughs> okay? That idol to them, tasteless. They wanted to stand to a God who they have tasted and seen was good, who they could take refuge in. That was their God. They knew all about God. They just didn't know all about God, though. They had a taste of God. So many times in, as Christians, we just want to know about God. We want to just show up at church. But I'm telling you, you're getting gypped. If, if, all is, if it's just good enough for you to show up on Sunday and just hear about God, all you're doing is coming and just looking at these every day and then walking back out, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Indulge yourself in the Lord. Engage yourself in his spirit. Know who God is, because when you know who God is, and when you taste and see how awesome God is, it changes you forever. You will approach God differently. You will worship him differently, and you'll behave differently, because you've tasted him. And you know what? She's going to enjoy this, aren't you? And your friends are going to enjoy it too, aren't they? Because here's the amazing thing. She's going to say, you want one of these? They taste so good. You don't have to sell them that much, right? But you, all you do is just ask. And it's the same way with your relationship with God. I don't want to be a hog with these. Well, let's go share them, right? Same way with your faith. When you know who God really is, you don't want to hog them to yourself. You want him to be shared with everybody you know. And you start with your friends and your family, right? I want to show you some, some pictures. Um, and these pictures happened from the other night, because here's the thing. I want to encourage you to know God more. Church, I want us to be able to stand in a world that's easily conforming to this world. This world, you know, everybody's just sort of conforming to do whatever, do whatever, do whatever, right? And at some point in time, we, the church, have to stand and say, no, I'm not conformed to that. Not going to listen to that, not going to watch that, not going to act this way. I will worship God. Sunday, that's my day to worship God. Sorry, coach. Love to be at practice, but I don't practice Sunday mornings. I worship Sunday mornings. Sorry, I, I, I know I got that project. I, want, I can't do that because I've, I've set aside some time. I'm going to go pray and that, or read scripture. And that. Hey, I would love to sleep in an extra 30 minutes, but you know what? I want to know God more. So I want to encourage you, church, to know God more. Not more about God, but know God more. And how do you do that? I want to encourage you to get into his word. Do not take lightly studying God's word, reading God's word. Spend time in prayer with him. This past Wednesday night, a bunch of students got together for what's called Fields of Faith. And they gathered. We used to be outside, but the last two years, it's, the weather's not been good, so we met inside. So we had over 300 students that gathered that night from about 12 different schools plus. And I was very thankful for the students who led. We had about 12 students who basically ran this. One of them, our, our very own Emma Zenz here, um, she was one of our leaders. Who, she's doing an internship with us right now, and she helped plan it out, and she got all the other student leaders together and planned out the evening. And it was a great evening, and some of your kids might have been there. And they, they started off with a game, had a little fun, but then we had kids, listen, kids, students who got up in front. They shared their testimony. They stood up in front. Christian being one of them who stood up in front and shared a two-minute testimony. And then more students got up and read Scripture. And more students read Scripture. And then some of the students, after all of that, 
We had a friend of ours, his name is Alfonso Mack from Bowling Green State University, graduated last year. He had played football there and was getting uh, looked by, by some NFL scouts, and then he ended up saying, well, I, I got a call from L.A. and I got a call from Pittsburgh, but God called him to serve. So he's raising support right now to come on staff in Bowling Green with H2O Church and with FCA, and he came and shared the gospel. And he, he shared with everybody saying, listen, there's a... There's the thing about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he gave people the opportunity to surrender. And we talked about what it means to surrender. And surrendering is like if you're in a battle and you're tired of getting beat up and, and it's like, I, I don't want to fight anymore. And you would take that white flag and you would wave the white flag up in the air and say, I surrender. And that night, we had five students who surrendered their life to Jesus Christ for the first time. We had dozens of kids recommit their life to Christ and surrender. We had dozens of kids who then also recommitted their life, or I'm sorry, made a surrender to saying, I'm surrendering some of my media social time to read God's word. There was a lot of surrendering going on. And they came down and they grabbed strips of white cloth and held them up in the air as we had a song playing, talking about what it means to surrender. And they surrendered to God. Over 100 commitments were made that night. Over 300 kids gathered that night with adults. It was an incredible night of prayer and worship. And it's one of those things that I get excited about. Um, I I love it when people get together uh, in the name of God. And that was one of those moments. And I want to challenge you as a church to know God more. How are you going to stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You won't be able to do it with just, oh, goodwill power. Know God more. The more you know God, your approach to him will be differently, your worship with him will be differently, and you will live for him differently. Amen? Would you please stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and mighty God. God, I thank you for moments like last Wednesday when all these students got together and and prayed and read scripture and surrendered their lives to you. And God, we as adults in this room right now, and not just adults, but even the students here, we can do the same. We don't have to wait for special moments. We can surrender to you at any time. And maybe there's somebody in here this morning that's never surrendered their life to you. Maybe they've never confessed with their mouth or believed in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. God, you sent your one and only Son because of an intense love for us. And you knew we couldn't handle sin on our own and that sin would destroy us. But you give life eternal. You sent your Son to pay that penalty that we couldn't pay to save us from sin and death. So God, if we confess with our sins, if we confess our sins to you, God, we know that you will forgive us. So God, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, for just giving us the opportunity to have a new life in you. God, I pray that if we need to surrender this morning, we surrender our life to you. Maybe we just need to surrender our time to you and say, you know what, I've had put other things, made other things gods in my life. I need to make you the God of my life. And I need to surrender some of my time. I need to surrender all of my time. I need to surrender my, my media time or whatever it may be and getting into your word more. God, whatever that may be, we want to know you more. Give us a hunger to know you more and to know your name. Your name is above all names. So that the name 
of Jesus Christ, we're told that every knee is going to bow to you, not to a false idol, but to you. You're the only one we bow to. You are the only one. God, thank you for being an incredible God. We want to know you more, Lord. We want to sing to you now in worship. In the name we pray, amen.